verses 5 through 12. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Men of low estate are but a breath. Men of high estate are delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to thee, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for thou dost requite a man according to his work. Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 29 to 31. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. One of the audio commentaries that I listen to each week said exactly what I was thinking about. This, about this passage from 1 Corinthians. They said, what a weird three verses to have to deal with that they have given us in the lectionary this week. This is a strange, short little passage that seems to be giving us some very confusing and conflicting advice. My dear brothers and sisters with spouses, tell me what would happen if you went home from church after hearing this passage and started living as though you had no spouse. I know every marriage is different, but I also know that that would not go over well in my house. This passage encourages us to mourn as though you aren't mourning and rejoice as though you aren't rejoicing. What in the world does that even mean? Buy like you don't have any goods sounds like a huge grocery run when the fridge is empty. Hurry up, the blizzard's coming, pot stockpile, toilet paper, and bread. This is some very strange stuff. Now, our clue to what's happening here is in the very last verse, almost as an afterthought. For the present form of this world is passing away. Aha! Paul seems to think that the world is imminently ending. The end is near, and he's calling his people to end of times living. Now, as we know in retrospect, that has not happened yet. Paul was a great apostle, an incredible follower of God, spiritual father to many, 
but he was not a fortune teller. He was not able to predict the future. You cannot build a theology of marriage, of wealth, of mourning, or of rejoicing off of this passage, partly because it would not make any sense, but mostly because that is not what Paul wanted the church in Corinth to do with this. That wasn't his intention. This is about disentangling yourself from the world because of God's coming age. It's about the sense of loss we feel when we are more connected to God's kingdom than the way the world works, or when we realize that connection to God's kingdom is counter to the way that the world works. This is about accepting that God's kingdom, God's intentions for the world and for creation and the kingdoms of the world are completely different. And that can make life messy and complicated as we try to live in the tension between being hopelessly wrapped up in the broken systems of the world and trying to live into God's will for ourselves, for our communities, for creation. I can sympathize with Paul and the way he feels in this passage. I can't count how many times in my life I've taken a look at the world around me and thought, surely Jesus is coming soon because this is absolutely the worst. Or Jesus, take me now. Paul seems to be feeling even worse than that about things in this passage, or maybe more urgent is a better phrase to use. That said, Paul's feelings of wanting, hoping, expecting the world to end soon are understandable and even normal. Many people feel that way at some point in their faith journey. Some people feel that way several times throughout their faith journey. Journey. Some people feel like that's the way they feel throughout their entire faith journey. This is a feeling of walking through quicksand or mud. This lonely where is everyone part of the faith journey is totally normal. It has many names. It's so normal. It's called the desert. It's called the dark night. Desolation. It's akin to, but not the same as depression, though. Depression is a medical term that is not to be ignored or written off as this spiritual feeling of loss or meaninglessness. The two should never be confused, as one needs to be addressed with a medical doctor and the other with a pastor or a spiritual director. The dark night, however, is part of a normal spiritual journey. Paul isn't depressed here. It seems rather he's going through a time of spiritual desolation. Just think about it. He starts off thinking he's got it all together, and everyone around him says he's got it all together. Look at that guy. Until God literally knocks him onto the ground in this blazing and incredible call story. So he gets up and he starts excitedly to follow God's call in his life, and his life becomes a living hell. People are set out to stone him, to toss him in prison. He's in shipwrecks. He's mocked at every turn. People see him coming and start to get wound up and angry about it. And even though he thinks this must mean Jesus is coming back very, very soon, he winds up living out the rest of his life, never seeing the return of Jesus in that lifetime. We're still waiting for that 2,000 years later. He was very, very far off on his estimations. 
And you get a sense of this same sort of spiritual desolation or desert in the psalm this morning. My soul is waiting for God because I need a safe place to be. The things of the world are false. They're no good. The psalm is more helpful if we back up a little bit even and just read the first four verses. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Notice that the psalm does not say, I shall never be shaken at all. It says, I shall not be greatly shaken. The world may beat and frustrate, but God consoles. The world is unfair and unjust, but God is faithful and just. The world is full of people who think less of us or of others because of where they're from or how much money they have or what they look like, but God cherishes everyone equally. The psalm says, those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion. Even in those times of desolation, of desert wandering, God is there. We may not see God or hear God. We may feel alone. But God is there, and we are never truly alone. And should we keep walking, keep persevering through the desert, there is an oasis on the other side, and this is called consolation. These are the times when we know beyond a doubt that God is there with us. This is where we suddenly realize all that we learned in the desert. This is a beautiful and life-giving contrast to the desert. There's a lot of leaving and a lot of letting go when it comes to following God. Repenting is not always turning away just from being bad. Sometimes it's about letting go of something old to move in a new direction. And this can be painful and difficult, as Paul found out. John of the Cross is a Christian author from very, very long ago who wrote a poem called The Dark Night. And he also wrote an accompanying explanation of that poem. The poem is eight stanzas, and he wrote an entire book to explain his poem. This poem talks about stilling our house, making our house quiet and still in order to enter into the night of seeking God. Instead of desert and oasis, he visualizes this contrast as night and day. And John calls the periods of difficult deserts, these times in which it feels like all hope is lost or that our faith is futile, or that the waiting for God to come back and fix it is too long, the dark night. It is in the night that we find God, John says. He challenges us to look into our lives and ask what it is that is preventing us from paying full attention to God. What is keeping us from braving the night to get to the great light of God on the other side? You see, sometimes we are so afraid of the dark that we never venture out to test our faith and experience new growth. As I said, The Dark Night is a lovely eight-stanza poem that John of the Cross wrote an entire book to explain. And I have a few copies of that book handy if you'd like to borrow one. I will say, in the interest of full disclosure, 
that John of the Cross is both weird and wordy. And if you come to me later and say, I don't think I understand much of what he's saying, my sympathetic reply will be, you and me both. That said, it's totally worth diving in and getting confused and reading the same sentence over and over and over, because as much as they drive me nuts, the mystic Christian authors like John of the Cross always offer a fresh new challenge and a new perspective on our relationship with God. I would like to share with you this poem. In an obscure night, with anxious love inflamed, oh happy lot, forth unobserved I went, my house being now at rest. In darkness and security, by the secret ladder disguised, oh happy lot, in darkness and concealment, my house being now at rest. In that happy night, in secret, seen of none, and seeing not myself, without other light or guide, save that which in my heart was burning. That light guided me more surely than the noonday sun to the place where he was waiting for me, whom I knew well, and where none but he appeared. O oh, guiding night, O oh, night more lovely than the dawn, O oh, night that hast united the lover with his beloved and changed her into her love. On my flowery bosom, kept whole for him alone, he reposed and slept. I cherished him, and the waving of the cedars fanned him. Then his hair floated in the breeze that blew from the turret. He struck me on the neck with his gentle hand, and all sensation left me. I continued in oblivion lost. My head was resting on my love. I fainted away, abandoned, and amid the lilies forgotten, threw all my cares away. In words that we heard echoed in our first hymn, How Firm a Foundation, if you flip back through your hymnal and read some of those verses, you'll hear some of these words in that hymn as well. John compares the closeness to God on the other side of the dark night to the emotional intimacy and vulnerability of a romance. On the other side of the night, the light of Jesus is far brighter than we'd ever imagined. On the other side of the night, our relationship with God is found to be stronger and sweeter and more special than ever before. Not everyone gets through the dark night, John says, but those who do are irrevocably changed. Imagine just hanging out with Jesus, doing nothing but enjoying the breeze. While this can be used perhaps as a picture of heaven, what John of the Cross is saying is that we can have that feeling of friendship and intimacy with God in this lifetime. Communities can go through dark nights, too. I believe that this congregation knows that from experience. We have had a great year together, and there are some exciting things happening. And I look forward to this new year of joy and fellowship and worship together. But we are not out of the desert just yet, my friends. I think we've just stepped out into the night. This year, we've been working on stilling the house on getting things sorted out and settled in so that we can venture out into the dark together and see what God is up to on the other side. 
Your dear faithful elders will be gathering this weekend to start imagining and envisioning and praying together about God's direction for this community. And I ask you all to be in prayer for them as we explore what it is that God's will for this congregation, for this community is, as we seek to find that place of friendship and intimacy with God as a whole. And I encourage you to be in prayer about what that looks like in your own life as well, because every single part is important to the whole. My friends, the dark can be frightening, but the light on the other side is blindingly beautiful. Amen.